0: Nice to see you all. Uh, let's, let's begin with prayer. Our Father, uh, we are here because of your mercies, and <clears throat> that is a truism, and uh, we're grateful. Lord, as we study um, the death and resurrection of your Son, we pray that you would give us insight plus faith, and that you would increase our our trust and that you would increase our gratefulness. Lord, um, we don't know what to say. We we just thank you for your plans and your purposes. And we pray for Reese Alina, uh, Lord, that you would work in her mind and heart and body. Uh, Lord, we pray for Frida. I thank you for those that have have gone to visit her. Lord, we pray your presence be with our dear sister, And we pray the same for Dorothy. Um, We know that you lose none of your sheep and you forget none. That's a comfort, Lord, to us concerning uh, these loved ones and even ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, on our major outline here, we've been going through the accounts dealing with our Lord's death. Uh, by crucifixion, and here's where we are uh, down here tonight. Uh, we've been studying the three hours of darkness, that period, from uh, <clears throat> and 12 noon to 3 p.m. is when that would have been, roughly. Uh, we have a few more things to go on that period, and maybe tonight we'll get to the events that immediately follow. Jesus' death. There's a number of events that follow immediately at the moment that he dies. And then there's more detail on the removal of Jesus from the cross and everything associated with his burial. So that's that's where we are tonight. Your comments and questions uh, are good and welcome. And I, I promised that we would read Psalm 22 (laughs) <laughs> Some of you, uh, uh, how many of you remember that? I wrote it. Wow, okay, so many of you remember my promise. Uh, I wrote it down. And you wrote it down, okay, so we, uh, I, I, I'll i read it without comment, how about that? <laughs> I, I'm joking a little bit, but that's pretty much what I think I'm going to do. I think I'll read it right now as we get started all the way through, and then we'll resume uh right in the middle of the, the, the three hours of, of darkness. So, Psalm 22, um, Psalm of David. It sounds like it's one of the periods when he was in great distress and the Lord did not appear to be answering his prayers, at least not on the timeline that, that David believed that, desired So uh, I wish it would be neat to know what these tunes are, but we we really don't know uh, what these uh, pieces of music uh, sounded like. I I don't think we do. Psalm of David, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, and and we know that Jesus uh, cried out this derelict cry in the middle of that three hours of darkness, when he was abandoned by the Father. We talked about that quite a bit last, last week. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. And so yet, in spite of the abandonment, uh, David, and in the greater sense, the Lord Jesus, still acknowledges God's holiness and His enthronement. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. And we know that that ultimately is the outcome of our Lord's suffering there. We know it from Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 10 also. Who with loud cryings and tears was heard because of his piety. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And we know there's two big aspects of the suffering on the cross. One aspect is the physical agony and God's justice. Another aspect of that suffering is this matter right here, is the pu- the shame. Crucifixion was desired to bring maximum shame to the person being executed by that method. Okay? And uh, ultimately, Jesus will not be ashamed uh, as he is glorified as he goes through this. Uh, they cried to you they were and were delivered they trusted in you and were not ashamed but i am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised by the people you know i've wondered here as i read this with with david i don't specifically know the historical connection where this psalm historically connects do you do you nathaniel by any chance Okay, yeah, I, well what, when I read verse six, it Jesus was despised and rejected by his own people. by you know, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So I connect kind of, I connect verse six. It makes me wonder if this was one of the times when, when there was a mutiny, uh, uh, insurrection against David having the throne and his the the people of Israel rejected David they began to fo- follow Absalom and that type of thing uh you know cuz i don't think David is talking about the gentiles that he's a reproach of men and despised by the people i don't think he's talking about the gentile people i think he's actually talking about uh his jewish the the jewish nation in some sense so uh all those who see me ridicule me uh, they shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, "He trusted in the Lord; let him rescue him; let him deliver him, since he delights in him." We studied those that mockery like two weeks ago, and it's uh, straight straight from this psalm. And somebody asked a question: Maybe it was you, Brian. Did the did the Jews actually know this psalm when they when they were mocking Jesus like that? Did they actually realize? they were fulfilling this psalm or not i mean i don't know whether they whether they did or not but this is almost the exact words that they used uh, when they mocked him uh, but you are he who took me out of the womb you made me trust while on my mother's breast i was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb you have been my god so he continues Trusting God, even though He's abandoned, and I believe that was the experience of Jesus and the Son of God, even though he was abandoned, He continued to trust in Yahweh or in the Father. Uh, it's just you know beyond our our uh, our ability to to conceive. Uh, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. It's a terrifying situation. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. Uh, I don't know when or how this could relate to David. It certainly can relate to the physical experience of crucifixion. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands they, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, they look and stare at me, they divide my garments and among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And there are multiple prophecies here uh, with a literal fulfillment uh, of our Lord's death and abandonment by the Father. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, O my strength. Hasten to help. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And then we have this dramatic, dramatic shift here in in the poetry. Here at verse verse 21, you have answered me. And so, uh, maybe this is at the point of it is finished (laughs) Uh, or at the point of resurrection in our Lord's experience. We have this dramatic shift. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. So, yes. Yes. That's a fine translation. Right. By Yeah, you have it says you have rescued me. Yeah. Verse twenty one. From the horns of the wild You have rescued me. Yeah, the ESV. I like that better. You do? So she just choose the one you like the best? <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> Anyways, I haven't studied the vocabulary there. Uh, we, maybe we can do it by majority vote. Let's see. New American Standard, you answer me. Okay, the verb tense is a bit different there. You answer me. Uh, you an- You have answered me. Uh, you have rescued me. How about the NET? You have answered me, NIV. Um, the Spanish version is much better. The Spanish version? Is that what we're gonna go with? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's really different. Rescue me. Save me. Wow, yeah, I haven't I haven't ever ek- tried to exegete Psalm twenty-two, so uh we're we're going with uh, you have answered me. Uh, uh Right now. Okay. Um, 21. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Now suddenly he's amongst the people of God. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. So, well, God did hide his face from him for a season, didn't he? Uh, But not not forever. Nor has he hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard. Uh, That would be a textual argument for the translation, he answered me. When he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. This psalm goes... Well, beyond David's reign. This is David's greater son, and, and there's going to be a reign. This psalm's going to end with the reign of David's son. And um, the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. We, you and I tonight are part of the fulfillment of verse 27. You realize that? We're part of the ends of the world. Okay, that have what? Turned to Yahweh, turned to the Lord. All the families of nations shall worship before you. We are, we're in the middle of this now. Okay, this is, the, the period between first and second coming is, is where we are. And this psalm is describing that period. It's going to culminate in the second coming of Christ. But uh, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. And we know from Psalm 2 that that rule now is through the exalted Son, whom he installed at the ascension and the resurrection. That rule is in process now, okay? Okay. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That he has done this. Amen. He's still doing it, or he's in the process of doing it right now. So, um, thanks for nudging me on to read the whole psalm. And it does kind of need to be read all together. Uh, okay, so. And then, of course, there's Isaiah 53 and... and we're going to see a few tonight, depending how how far, a few more, depending on how far we get tonight. Uh, actually, I don't need to do that. So, we are, um, <clears throat> during that three hours of darkness, when Jesus uttered that cry of dereliction, um, It was misunderstood by some of those who were who were were there. Um, Let me get to the right place in the text. uh, Forty-seven. Okay. Verse forty-seven. Jesus uttered this heart-wrenching statement. We studied that last week. Some of those. Yeah. Sure. Why don't you use this microphone?
1: Awesome, thank you. Um, I wasn't sure if this is necessarily true, but I heard that Psalm 22 is the psalm about the crucifixion. Mm. The second half is about the results of what happens from the crucifixion. Yeah. Psalm 23 is the resurrection psalm, and then Psalm 24 is the ascension psalm. Is that... I don't know! <laughs> I mean, I, uh, um, I would
0: have to think about that. I know Psalm 23, I, I, I tend more to use Psalm 2 as the Resurrection Ascension Psalm because it really is, and the, 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 the day I have begotten thee in, in Psalm 2 I think is actually a reference to the Resurrection. Right. And then he's exalted and put on the right hand of God. I I, I can't answer. I'd have to read. I'd have to read those psalms, uh, Brian. Do you want to weigh in on that, Nathaniel? I
2: know
0: Psalm Oh, it It's been historically. Give him the microphone. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know re- reading uh, Psalm twenty. Three, I think it's Bruce Waltke. He has an interesting commentary that associates that with communion. Oh, throughout church history, uh, but, but it, that could also be true. It's possible with what Brian mentioned.
0: Okay, so I wasn't that's aware interesting. Of that. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll try to remember to read it when I get home. You got my my interest peaked. Anybody else before we move on? Okay, so uh, as Jesus cried out that way. Verse 47, some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. So Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, but some do not understand Eli, Eli, my God, my God. Uh, They don't understand that and they phonetically associate that with Elijah. And so immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink." Now, we already have been here somewhat about this sour wine business. Based on Luke twenty three thirty six. this is the second time Jesus was offered sour wine to drink. We concluded earlier that this was done as a mockery, not as an act of compassion. We worked through that. And in this case, it's just difficult to determine if the individual who ran and took a sponge and offered it to him to drink was showing compassion. John adds one more detail that Jesus had cried out, I thirst. Somewhere in this period of time, that was another utterance from our Lord. He cried out, I thirst. And Jesus did this, that the scripture might be fulfilled uh nineteen twenty eight we're gonna we'll come back to that uh in a in a moment yeah, we'll come back to that in a moment but once again, John points out that Jesus knows exactly the status of the mission i'm gonna go over to john uh at this point. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, "I thirst." Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled, and they filled a sponge with the sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So the Synoptics don't connect Jesus' statement of "I thirst." with this sour wine. They don't give us that detail, but John seems to connect it and they connect it with, you know, this man's calling for Elijah. They say he's calling for Elijah and then and they, I believe those things happen probably almost together that, that, uh, uh, but the timing is just, it's just not possible to completely nail down the timing Uh, Because there seems to be more time between the my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and Jesus' it is finished. Um, So, now what I want to point out here is what's going on in Jesus' mind at this time. First, Jesus is knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. You see, there's been a plan and a purpose to be accomplished in the history of our human race. Jesus knows he has accomplished that plan. He also knows that this plan and purpose is laid out in the scriptures, which are God's word And that word must be fulfilled. And he's responsible to fulfill it. So he says here, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. So he is aware of all of this. There's a plan to be accomplished. He's accomplished it. There's scripture to be fulfilled. and he's actually aware of that. I mean, that's an amazing, you know, Jesus is aware uh, that he's fulfilling scripture. He's very aware of that. Uh, and, and he even on the cross, he's aware of that. And that he's responsible to make it happen and to fulfill it. And he does that. Now, a vessel of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Who the they, who the they is, or who the they are, <laughs> is not certain. The soldiers, a sympathetic bystander. The closest Old Testament reference is Psalm sixty-nine twenty-one. We studied that the first time we were on the sour wine. They they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So, uh, perhaps it, I don't know. Psalm 69 represents the act as not compassionate, but aggravating one's suffering. That's how it's represented in Psalm 69. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And that's what's what's happening here. Back to Matthew 27.50. Matthew twenty-seven. And fifty, the rest said, "The rest said, "Let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to save him." And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That's Matthew's uh, ending here. Uh, I think there's time between verses forty nine and fifty that there's, there's a time is passing between those verses. Matthew does not indicate what Jesus said here. He cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. However, it's likely that Luke and John captured Jesus' last words. Perhaps John heard them by being near Jesus. Remember John and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the three other ladies are near, are near Jesus, so, so perhaps that's how, where, he, where he picked it up. And uh, Luke, gathering that information, Luke could have gathered it from John based on how, how Luke did his research. So first, let's look at Luke's final words of Jesus. Thelma, do you still have the question?
1: Yes. It's about the vinegar. Vinegar is acid, and I drink it myself. You know, right? And uh, with a little bit of salt. Sure. And it's uh, used in the Philippines to preserve. Okay, let's go. What's the point? What the point is? What do you want to get to? I, you know, the vinegar thing. I mean, maybe it was in God's Yahweh and Jesus Christ plan before the earth was even in existence, right? Right. And but because the Lord Jesus is fulfilling what they had planned. Right. B- being a man and God, well the man part is really suffering. But the he, God
0: part is suffering too, but yeah go the ahead. God, both parts <laughs> is suffering. Uh, we well, I mean physical,
1: uh, physical. I mean, physical yes. physical pain yes. as a, a yes. human being. Yes. But the God, um, you know, God the Son part is also suffering. Yes. Because he felt so like he the was... So what's point about the vinegar? Well, never mind. Nothing. Uh, Thank you. Uh, you sure? No, I'm... I'm... It, it's, it's probably, it's better, or it's very bitter gall. It Like... Well... And we know in,
0: we know the gall was probably the myrrh. We studied that earlier, okay, and the sour wine is is vinegar.
1: so okay. we, I'm thinking, I think in the medical terminology of a gall, a gall is bile. Yes, yeah, bile. And that's how that's, like gall I mean gall bladder right it, It's bile and yeah. it's very bitter.
0: Yeah, we know yeah, we've been through that.
1: Yeah, no. Okay, thank you. Okay. Bye. Okay. I mean,
0: but Jesus is fulfilling prophecy, and Psalm sixty nine twenty one does say it mentions both gall and the sour wine, uh, or vinegar for my thirst. So, so there is a reference to thirst in Psalm sixty nine twenty one, and there's a reference to thirst here in in uh, Jesus's. Uh, When Jesus is on the cross here, he says, I thirst. So, uh, okay, so we are, uh, uh, Matthew, yeah, Matthew doesn't tell us what Jesus cried out uh, in a loud voice, but Luke and John do, and so let's take a look at that. First Luke's final words here are in Luke twenty three forty six. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this he breathed his last. So He yielded up his spirit <clears throat> here in Luke. Um, is this Matthew's? Um, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Possibly it is. Was Jesus' sense of abandonment recorded in Matthew and Mark over at this point? Um when he made those words, I, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. When he actually said that, was his sense of abandonment over? I don't know. While abandoned or not, Jesus still commits himself to his Father's hands. Jesus' words echo Psalm 31, 5, an expression of trust in the midst of great troubles and persecution from enemies. So, uh, none of the authors specifically reference this, but uh, his words, we find them in Psalm 31.5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. John's final words of Jesus are in John 19.30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, we've already been there, he said, it is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So, so he said both of those things, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he also cried out, saying, it is finished. He, he said both of those things uh, right near the very point, uh, the very point of his death. Now, possibly that's what uh, Matthew uh, that goes along with the statement in Matthew. Now, only John records this extremely significant statement. It is finished. Only John that records this. And it gives insight into what Jesus is thinking while he's on the cross. It is finished may also be translated as it is accomplished. Of course, it is finished conveys that Jesus' suffering is over. I, I, I believe that. At this point, I I believe the suffering has ended, okay? And and I believe that because I think the better translation here is it is accomplished, all right? Which is, I would would put that forth to argue that his suffering is ended. Uh, It is accomplished. Uh, Now, of course, it is finished conveys... Also, perhaps, Jesus' suffering is over, done, completed. But it is accomplished means there's nothing else left to do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right, Richard. You know, it's accomplished. There's there's nothing else left to do. And he is aware of that. And I want to go a little further with this. Um, So... in in an additional matter that that Jesus has accomplished all the work the Father gave Him to do. That's what it means. Now that this is front and center in Jesus' mind is clear from His prayer on Thursday evening. Remember that prayer? He's praying to His Father. He prays, I have glorified you on the earth. I have accomplished the very same word, I have accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So, that final prayer to his Father, and this final moment on the cross, Jesus' consciousness is bound up with, I must and I will accomplish the work the Father has given me to do. And at that moment on the cross, when he says it is accomplished, he realizes that the work is done. It is accomplished. And so, this accomplishment includes the fulfilling of all the Old Testament scriptures concerning him. That this is on Jesus' mind is clear from John 19.28 that we just looked at. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Indeed, the suffering is over-finished because all things required from the Father to redeem his people have been accomplished. Jesus is very aware of this. Jesus lived his life in this awareness. We see that at times when he interacts. And he tells the the disciples, how then could could the Scriptures be fulfilled? And he uses those expressions. And he tells them, whatever is written of me has its accomplishment. I mean, there's a number of them that you can just think of if you know the Gospels. He lived his life all the way through that last moment on the cross knowing that he's accomplishing the will of the Father in this mission. And uh, that's what he's he's doing. The manner in which John and Luke describe Jesus' death is unique. Most victims of crucifixion lose all their strength, cannot speak, and become unconscious. In Jesus' case, he was able to make these statements, and then immediately his life ended in his case. According to Luke, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and having said this, he breathed his last. It's almost as if he ended his life this way. John's description is even stronger. Jesus said, it is accomplished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. John represents Jesus as in control to the point of giving up his spirit, which ends his life. And this appears to be a literal fulfillment of John chapter 10 and verse 17. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. <clears throat> no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And, G, and, and John has this record of how Jesus' last moment is is like Jesus is in control, and he lays down his life and and we've seen that all the way through john's narrative, haven't we over and over again, John represents the matter and brings out that you know Jesus is in control you know for the night that he's betrayed regarding Judas, Jesus is in control of Judas betraying him at that particular time and We've seen many of those in in John's account. And it it culminates here uh, on the cross. Uh, So, any comments or questions up to that point? It has been accomplished.
1: Um, I was just curious, do any of these other last statements from it is accomplished to father into your hands, are any of those in Aramaic or is it only the cry out, Eli, Eli?
0: I would think they're all in Aramaic and they're translated. And in in regard to that one statement, um, um, Matthew put put it in Aramaic uh, because I think that connects with them because it sounds like Elijah. I'm a, I might not have that all precisely correct, but I think all of the statements were probably in Aramaic. Because that was his and, general and, language he spoke, right? Yes, it was Aramaic, is, not
1: he, he not Hebrew? That is correct, yeah. And is Hebrew and Aramaic from what I... Don't they share the same alphabet and they're, they're almost they're the They're quite
0: similar. You're going to have to ask our Hebrew scholar in the back. He can answer that question.
2: <laughs> I don't know that Jesus didn't know Hebrew. How do we know he didn't know both? I mean, I don't know.
0: Well, I know, but I mean, could you? What's the relationship between Hebrew and Aramaic?
2: I don't have. I mean, I don't have any bright ideas to share right now. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're different languages. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some relation, of course, but they're different.
1: Yeah. Do they
2: share the same alphabet? I don't. I mean, the characters would not be the same. No. So but I don't know, that's a good question. Because I don't know Aramaic. Yeah. That's why I can't answer it.
0: <laughs> okay. So I so I think the reason he does it here is it relates to how they misunderstood it to to mean Elijah. I, I think it's down those lines why there's a difference. Anybody anybody else?
1: Official Hebrew was the, the scriptural language. Syriac was a colloquial, I'm sorry, uh, Aramaic was a colloquial popular language. Yeah.
0: And we know, we know that the Jews at the time of Jesus, perhaps, were, were not even, they, we know many of them were beginning not to understand Hebrew around two or 300 B.C., which motivated the translation of the Septuagint, the, the Hebrew into Greek, because there were even a lot of Jews that did not understand Hebrew at that time. And uh, so that's, that's the total, that you've exhausted everything that I know <laughs> about that particular matter.
1: From what I understand in modern Israel, Hebrew is a, cre- is a modern creation as a popular language. Oh,
0: I don't know that.
1: Yeah, again yeah. it's it's foundationally scriptural. Yeah. But in order for it to be used for everyday use, it needs to borrow words mm. that would be hebraized.
0: Yeah. Okay, so uh we're moving on to the next subsection here. The uh, oh wow. I'm going to have time? maybe we can do this. Yeah, we need to get through this one. So, uh, the events immediately following Jesus' death. And we'll pick that up in Matthew uh, 27, 51. What immediately follows now, it'll be good for us to to do this. Um, So, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then... Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So let's just, let's, that'll, that'll use up the rest of our time uh, this evening on this happening. Well, beginning with the veil in the temple, uh, the veil is torn into, from top to bottom, there were two temple veils, one dividing the most holy place from the holy place, and a second veil dividing the holy place from the courtyard. So there's two veils and there's a lot of discussion as to which veil is being referred to here. The outer veil would be seen by most anybody. That inner veil would only be seen by the priest. No one else would see that inner veil. All right. So tearing the outer veil would be more public, but assuming... The references to the inner veil, based upon Hebrews chapter, a bunch of verses there in Hebrews, uh, I really lean that it is the inner veil that was torn, uh, especially the way Hebrews develops all of this. Um, it was the inner veil that was ter- torn, and if that's the case, word must have gotten out among the Jews, and ultimately Jesus, his disciples as to what had happened since only the priests had access to that inner veil. So those are historical kind of things we need to think about. We need to not be ignorant of that kind of stuff. Um, so but I think it is the it, it is the inner veil. And the torn veil was symbolic proof that the way of access into the holy presence of God is now open. Of course, we know that's why that was all set up. Um, and that veil could only come down when real propitiation, Richard, to use your term, took had been accomplished. It had been accomplished. And God could be approached and you would not die. Uh, <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> The spectacle of Jesus Christ crucified and abandoned by the Father is the basis for our access to the Father. It is finished results in the veil being torn from the top to the bottom. We're seeing what that spectacle accomplished immediately. Immediately we see that the way into the presence of God is is just wide open. And so much so that the scriptures have to encourage us to believe that and the book of Hebrews is full of that, right? Come boldly, come boldly, come with confidence. Come with confidence to the throne of grace. Come with assurance to the throne of grace and uh, that that's hard for us to do when when we know how sinful we are when we're when we're aware of our sinfulness but we have to our ability to go in does not depend on our righteousness or our sinfulness or lack thereof our ability to go in depends on the perfection of the sacrifice okay the power of the propitiatory sacrifice and and the lord has designed you know the temple and the curtain and here the curtain is torn in two the lord has designed all that to get through to us <laughs> so so right so 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 guilt should never keep you away you hear me a sense of guilt a, a righteous sense of guilt should never keep you away from going to the Heavenly Father. Never! (laughs) And I have to say that to myself. This is experiential Christianity now. But we get tangled up all the time. Okay? No. That way is open, permanently open. Not on the basis of what you and I do, but it's on the basis of what Jesus has done. Uh, So what a wonderful token is to, not a right word, what a wonderful sign from the Lord that He has the veil torn in two from top to bottom the moment Jesus dies. The moment it is when He says it is accomplished. Um, Praise God for that. You know, if we use up a little more time, we won't. We will not be able to get to the, the resurrections in the open tomb. Well, well, we only that, got well, that's the part I'm talking about. Well, the, we only we only got two minutes left. I'm going to have to put that off till next week. That we could take a whole class for that because this part excites me about the grave when he opens. And I think it's yeah. something so simple. And I've been guilty of overthinking things. Why the the grave's open when he when he dies gives up the ghost because they have to come up. And they, they're not gonna dig their way up, so God opens it for them so they can come out. But I mean I think just think that's a beautiful thing of the power of his resurrection. Oh, absolutely. That the you know, that the saints it, come up and go yeah. into town. And anyway, so I want to hear you now. Well, you know, actually it is only two minutes it is two minutes to eight, so uh I had to go off and talk about the veil a bunch and um uh, Fred.
2: Do you want me to talk, or do you want to talk for the
0: last two? Oh no, no! I think I will defer doing uh, this passage in Matthew till next Wednesday. So go ahead.
2: No, I just—I uh, was just thinking about the the symbolism of the veil, yeah. and you know the um, and all the cherubim imagery there in the holy of holies, and and uh, you go back to Genesis three, where the cherubim has the flaming sword to the east of Eden. Oh, and now. I, I, I almost like to think there, there there was a cherubim there invisible that, that cut that veil uh, for the Lord, you know. Uh, and it's probably yeah. far fetched. But yeah. But the symbolism's there. The way back oh, to Eden. Yeah. The way back to the tree of life is now open.
0: Thank you. Yes, because the inner part of the of the sanctuary there is 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 decorated that way. Oh, excellent. Yeah, the way back to Eden is open and uh Actually, there is one more thing I want to say about, about the veil. Yeah, the, t- the, the, tearing, the tearing of the inner veil is also symbolic that the temple is no longer needed, nor the sacrificial rituals which could only be performed there, that's no longer needed, nor is the Levitical priesthood needed. So Jesus' death and resurrection obsoletes the Mosaic Covenant with all its service and Levitical priesthood. Okay, it does. And that torn veil is, you know, we've reached the end of the Mosaic Covenant. We are now transitioned into the New Covenant. Okay. And that torn veil sends that message strong and clear. So. All right, it's exactly eight. Does anyone have other comments or, or any other comments or questions? Are then... well, we have time next week to talk more about the people's Absolutely, I haven't even gotten there yet. We'll, 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 we, will resume, uh, we will resume with that ne- next week. So, you, you, spe- you expect everybody to immediately drop whatever they're doing and answer your text? I'm special. <laughs> okay, anybody else? that you'd like to add a thought or have a question. Okay. So uh, let's, let's uh, pray. Mm-hmm. Our Father, uh, once again, uh, we thank you for the words that we've studied here tonight. We thank you that you have designed this to communicate to us your power, your love, um, all that you've done uh, that that we can grasp it. And Lord, uh, Lord forgive us, uh, forgive our unbelief, Lord. It's an insult to you uh, and you are so patient. We do pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that the power and the reality of these things would greatly increase in our own lives and families, in our church, in our nation. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for what we've studied tonight. And um, we ask you to keep us, uh, as the hymn says, keep us, Lord, uh, cleaving and to yourself and believing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.